Welcome to Ahali, a series of conversations where I, Jan Altay, meet with ear-opening thinkers, artists, curators, and designers to discuss the future of cultural production. Let's start with what Ahali means. Ahali refers to a community that flows, that doesn't have boundaries, yet nevertheless producing a meaningful togetherness. It is about a culture of being together, and Ahali generates knowledge that is not fixed and always open for newcomers. So, welcome to a highly conversation. Jessica and Every Moralkan started collecting more than a decade ago. Not satisfied with available tools and trying to figure out how to catalog and manage their collection, they ended up developing a collection management system that also accommodated a built-in social network. Collectors, now an independent public benefit corporation, aims to give public access to the world's unseen private art collections. Here at the Highly Conversations, we have been observing and discussing the future of cultural production, and one thread of our search has been on alternative practices of institution building. So we start our conversation with Jessica and Evrim looking at the way they combine digital formats that are rooted in social media platforms with an activity that is very much established in physical space and based on an accumulation of artifacts and a rather strict tradition known as collecting. So I want to start with collecting. And also I think with collectors, I'm observing that it's kind of fundamentally is, is a tool to organize. On one meaning, it's a tool to organize collections, but on another meaning, it's also a tool to organize collectors in a more like social sense. So let's start with collecting and how did collectors emerge and how has it evolved? Thanks, John, for the intro. I think I want to start off with defining collectors the way we are defining it today as it has evolved over time. But we see collectors as the world's first collective digital museum in the real sense, what we refer to as the Museum of Private Collections. It's part social network, part collection management software, part community, part a curatorial platform, and part also educational resource that is going to evolve more in the near future as well. You know, Jess and I have been collecting for more than a decade, and it's a habit that was further developed uh, by research and learning, and we were grappling with many challenges at the time, such as properly cataloging the works in our collection. And... You know, we, we tried uh, Excel sheets to catalog, uh, which is horrible. It's not visual. It just did not work. We tried the collection management softwares that existed at the time. They all had this Windows 95 type uh, interface, and we did not uh, end up using them. So we wanted to share our collection with others, but we were limited to our home, and we wanted to meet like-minded people and several other challenges that we were facing at the time. But these problems we had, these were problems that we had, but we did not know what to do about it. In a way, we were not even thinking about a solution until just one day came up to me and said she found a domain. And I asked, uh, what is it? And after she told me, I literally saw a lightning uh, in my head and the whole blueprint of the platform was more or less uh, visible. I had to sit down, explain, we spoke for hours, and uh, that's really how it started. Obviously, it evolved uh, since then. 
and we had to acquire the domain. It was not readily available, but we had to go after it, uh, which took us a few weeks. So yeah, and then we did not start developing it right away. We planned it for almost a year, researched, brainstormed, created numerous flowcharts, established rules, discussed how it can be as inclusive as possible and different, bring something different to the art world, which we felt like was lacking. All the platforms were very commercial when we look at it and still are. So we wanted to be an antidote to that in so many ways, I think. So during this journey, we found out that there were more than 100 million artworks storage facilities globally. And um, that resonated with us. Uh, That's really made a lot of sense. That social network bringing collectors, just like you were saying, bringing them together, not only the artworks, but bringing them together, creating a community, not just JPEGs of artworks, but a community very similar to your concept of Ahali. We wanted to create our own Ahali, basically. So, And then it was at the New Museums Incubator, where we're in our fourth year now, the mission of collectors was born to give the public access to the world's unseen private art collections. So during the journey, we kept on building our community and we became a public benefit corporation. And, you know, as far as I know, we are possibly, and I don't know of any others, we are the art world's first public benefit corporation. So, yeah. And so in a way it evolved, I'm mean, first by the domain, you also are referring to the name, probably the collectors. And so first the name was given and then there was a sense of direction in a way to bring together collections, but really it crystallizes with the new museum's incubator, it seems like. And prior to that, did you have experience or know-how in building digital platforms or in the art context? No, no, we don't. No, I think, you know, right when, I think it was around 2014 when we first came up with the idea of collectors, you know, Artsy was just, I think it's kind of in its infancy, like it had only been around for maybe a year. And paddle and so these were like and Instagram two, too. and Instagram, yeah, yeah it, it was, was just now like starting to catch on steam. So I think like just seeing how things evolve over time, seeing what's working, what's not working in the digital realm in terms of art. Obviously, they're totally different from what we're doing. Paddle is an auction house, and Artsy slowly morphed into an auction house. I think they're finding their way too. You see what works and what the community needs as you go, and that's kind of how collectors evolved as well. But for us, it's become a need. You know, we had piles of art in our house that we could no longer fit on our walls. And we realized our third bedroom was full of art. Like people could no longer come over and stay to visit us anymore because it was just like piled with art. And we had no idea what was in there, you know? So it came from a basic need. So like we wanted a visual way to see what we had. And we realized other people must have the same need as well. But there is the second sense of organizing, the kind of socially organizing, also the collectors. And in previous discussions, I've observed you, or also in your website, probably observed, you mentioned the allowing, in a way, collectors to become active cultural agents or agents with a certain gravitas. I don't think collectors lack gravitas or confidence, but still there is that a more, in a way, positioned with regards to the art world, with regards to the art industry, how it operates how it creates its own kind of structures, visible and invisible ones. So in a way, your call seems to be also about bringing collectors together in a platform of exchange and sharing their 
accumulation, so to say, of works, but also positioning this whole platform as a, I won't say alternative maybe, but as a kind of counterpoint to the way things are done in the contemporary art industry. Right. I, I think we are problem solvers. I mean, um, my nature is very much problem solver. When I see a problem, I feel the need to find a solution. So the, the problem that we saw in the art world was also as collectors back then, the traditional role that's given to a collector is a private, curious and passionate custodian, so to say. Collectors have been conditioned to believe that they should feel and not think and show up but not speak. We, we don't think that way. We think a collector can and should be more than that. We advocate for a collector who employs research, critical thinking, you know, rigor, social accountability. We define this new type of collector and what we would like to, who we'd like to have on the platform is a socially conscious collector that is willing to share their acquisitions, not hide it share it with the public, create conversations. And we also do believe at this point that uh, rarity does not create more value. I think things have changed. Uh, visibility creates more value. And we believe in that path. So currently, I have to say, we're collectively working on a project with several collector members from our platform. The project is at the moment titled, it's a working title, but reworking the ethical dimensions of collecting contemporary art. You know, this has never been done. There, there is no ethics established on collecting. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable to even uh, hear this, but it is. There are really no established ethics around it, just like other platforms, other industries, like you would have in health or public sectors. It doesn't really exist. And we do believe that there should be something. So our plan is to publish it as a book as well. So in a way, it's a documentation that will, for the first time, establish a sort of ethics of collecting and we'll try to answer the question, how can collectors collectively rethink and redefine the role of the contemporary art collector as a socially just, accountable, and more importantly, transparent agent in the art world, in a way also as an ally of the artists and art workers, not power. Yeah, I think that question of transparency is really imperative. And since you mentioned power, I mean, the and depending on the degree of power the collectors hold, the more you live inside or go in and out of the art worlds, you notice that they actually do not lack influence or it's not that they are not vocal, but it usually happens under certain or several layers <laughs> and uh, probably in boardrooms or other contexts. So in that sense, it's a more... Not in an age sense, but more agile understanding of a collector as a figure, as an agent in this ecosystem that makes contemporary art as we know it today. And in a sense, claiming that agency, I think, is also quite critical. And looking at your practice, I will say, because it's a kind of practice, I'm also noticing that how much actually it is also informed by being exposed to art or encountering art or even maybe the art you collect because there's a degree of provocativeness that's embedded in how you manifest collectors out there in the world and in the digital realms. And I was thinking of like this David Hammond's quote. He said once that 
art used to wake you up. Now it puts you to sleep. And with you guys, it feels to me like it's now starting to wake some people up again, which is hopeful. Very well put. Thank you so much. I think this is all stemming from our belief and art being our compass. We believe in the power of art, you know, what it could do. And uh, we believe in art's um, function as an instigational tool. Art has to instigate. We totally believe in that. And uh, I think when somebody starts instigating, others follow. So we we took on that role for ourselves because uh, nobody else was doing it. Mm -hmm. And it felt right. It just is very much in our DNA as well to speak up when others are not. Then it's more comfortable for others to start speaking up. So I think it is important to have some sort of meaningful change in the art world mm -hmm. in the near future to speak up. So take that as a duty for ourselves and You know, I think there's so many discourses that you could follow in the art world as a collector, but uh, this creative path has been explored before. Collector as a creative entity, a person is something rare. And I think we want to continue exploring that. You know, we don't believe in a future where collectors solely rely on art advisors, collection managers, and everybody else. Yes, there's certainly room for them. We are not against art advisors, but letting them do everything for you and you um, appearing as a collector, as the custodian, as the originator, as the founder of this collection is not really the right thing to do. We don't believe in that. I mean, we do believe that collectors should have the ability to do things for themselves, to do acquisitions, to do research on their own. So going back to that ethical approach, but yes, it's very, very, very important. I mean, it's, it's, I can't stress it enough. And also, I mean, the dimension of social justice is also very timely, maybe even late, not for you guys, but for the art world in general. But we have to, I think, express this more often, but there is an original violence that's embedded in the museum. I mean, the museum is ultimately a kind of colonial apparatus that was basically grabbing stuff from around the world to inspire. It has that history and how to bring it to today's discussions of social functioning and how to decolonize it in some groups or kind of aim for that, but also how to make it more just is a question. But before we move into this discussion of the museum, because you said you call yourselves a museum of collections, there's some things to unpack there. But before we move on to that, I just have one more question about the collections that are coming together within collectors. Do you collect data on how collections behave on these matters of concern? Or is that something you are considering? Or is not a matter of critical assessment, but more about uh, first producing the knowledge around how to possibly deal with collecting more ethically, in your words? Well, if collecting data, when you say collecting data, if you mean in the sense uh, like Instagram or Facebook does or Google does or mm, no. uh, Amazon collects data, no. We haven't built the uh, big algorithms, but what we're building right now is machine learning, understanding what collectors are doing. And we are connecting those dots in the back end where we are going to build a suggestion engine of sorts. It could be seen as an advisory product that is uh, reading mm -hmm. and understanding the behaviors, collecting habits, the viewing patterns of uh, collectors. It's in the works. 
I think we're looking at about a five, six month cycle for that. But we do want to help our members. This is not to sell outside of the platform, but it is to be used for our members' benefit to bring more of a value to them, convenience to them in a way. So we look at it from that perspective, but we don't really look at uh, how long they stare at an artwork yet and all that. Maybe mm. we should. No, my question was far more archaic, like how many women artists they have in their collection or right. where are the artists from and which channels they were acquired by and things mm. like that. I'm glad you brought that up. So we, as we're building that machine learning, I think that's also a factor to take a look at as well. So obviously we are tying things uh, from a social perspective as well, mm-hmm. color artists of color, but yeah, that's absolutely a good way to look at it. I think, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's always room to expand with this criteria and ultimately it's not to make a checklist <laughs> probably or hopefully, but nevertheless, these things are rightfully and currently being discussed. So I wanted to see how you feel about that. But then let's discuss a little bit this question of becoming an institution, because you are not shy from positioning yourself as an art institution. And why do you call it a museum? We feel like it is the closest concept to what we are as a platform. Before I get into it, perhaps I want to tell you uh, in your audience, you're a highly a little bit about uh, what has been going on with the definition of a museum. You know, there has been a lot of conversation lately, whether a museum is simply a building to house objects, if it's there to engage with the public, to take on active stance on political issues. So recently in the past year or so, year and a half, uh, International Council of Museums, ICOM, it currently defines the functions of museums as acquiring, conserving, researching, communicating and exhibiting, basically. While a counter-proposal had been put out there to change this definition, and uh, there's been many disagreements within the leadership of ICOM and uh, the conservatives within uh, the organization were able to postpone the vote at the General Assembly, which led to several board members and the president, Tuai Aksoy, to resign. So this newly proposed definition outlined the museum's as democratizing and inclusive spaces for critical dialogue about the past and the futures with a goal of contributing to social justice, equality, and planetary well-being, I think, something similar to that. So we feel like we are closer to that. And we did not Mm -hmm. model collectors on that, but that was the direction we were going. So simultaneously, this was happening. And when we heard about this, it was unbelievable. I mean, that is exactly what we are trying to become or have become in some ways. So that was interesting. But we do call ourselves a museum because a collective museum. On the digital front, what could constitute a museum? We kept asking ourselves, how could you become a museum? I mean, I think the only way for it to be is to be alive, is to be a community. You can't be a museum without being a community. You can't just simply display works or show or start narratives, but it needs to be inclusive. It needs to attract not just collectors, but others as well. So we currently have started with bringing gallery members, bringing, uh, working on our curator members and others, advisors and collection managers in a way where they could all have sort of a new landscape, a little microcosmos on the digital sphere. So I think it's also important to note that we're presenting digital exhibitions. We're inviting curators into the platform to select from our members' works. 
We also have a really exciting exhibition coming up within the next few weeks that we can't really announce yet, but it's very, very exciting. We're working with a family archive of a deceased artist. So bringing these stories to life is, you know, what Collectors is all about. And I'm not sure if you saw 1 to 31 on our site. We invited Adam Park to come in and select 31 works we presented over the course of 31 days, all just pulling from members' collections. We're telling backstories about how these members are basically, how they acquired these pieces. Some of them have really, really interesting stories that somehow link spiritually to their life. And then they come across this piece at an art fair that like completely speaks to them. So we're trying to bring the stories behind the collections that are on our site as well. You are, in a way, taking existing formats or typologies, such as the museum or the exhibition, and then you are translating it into the digital. Of course, you are not the only one who are proposing like digital exhibitions. But what is a digital exhibition for you? Like, Yeah, I think bringing it down to the basics is like getting a group of artworks in front of people. You know, when you look back, since the whole COVID thing happened and the lockdowns were going on, when we first did 1 to 31, when we presented 1 to 31 was in February, I believe, <laughs> before New York City was locked down, people were kind of curious, what is a digital exhibition? <laughs> they didn't really understand what we were doing. Right. And, you know, fast forward a month later, Everybody's doing the whole world is on lockdown. And, you know, all of these galleries around the world are now presenting digital exhibitions, which is basically (laughs) images of the the artworks that are in their galleries online and the story behind the the shows. So to us, that's always what a digital exhibition is. It's Mm -hmm. you can't be there in person when that artwork is not hanging on your wall, when the public doesn't have access to these works in your home. It's bringing those stories to the outside world, to these global audiences. And we didn't just put the artworks, but uh, also created, you know, using the digital. I think one of our mediums is an editorial format of text as well, putting uh, artworks in context. I think that's one of the most important things that other entities are not doing. They're not putting the artworks into context. I mean, just displaying artworks and uh, writing the name of the artist and the year and the materials or a little bit of text about uh, what the artist practices about is not really an exhibition, we feel like. We needed to go deeper into things. We usually brainstorm with the uh, others that are involved first and discuss different ways of doing what we are trying to do and compared to the physical museums or institutions, how they approach things and how we can approach it on the digital frontier and connect with the public at the end of the day and resonate, make sure that the message resonates with them. Maybe this question of accessibility and the kind of familiarity, would you think it's also at play in how you position yourself as this very being outspoken, especially in social media, playing with the social media tools in a sense or forms? Uh, like memes, for example, you like in your Instagram account, I often encounter memes or maybe it just shows me the memes due to the algorithm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And these provocations, so to say, I understand that it's a process and you are also enjoying that process and it's like very organic. But is there like something you want to talk about how you use those tools? I think we like to keep it fun, first of all. And we also like to keep in mind that we are not necessarily speaking to the 40, 50, 60 plus generation. We want to connect with the next generation. We want to influence them. We want to inspire them because the real change is going to come from that. I mean, we saw that 
last year with the environmental activism all around the world from our children also walking on the streets of New York. We want to connect with them and their attention span is a lot shorter than ours. And we have to accept that at this point. So storytelling needs to be simplified. So that's kind of how we look at the use of means. Yeah, I think social media overall is playful too. It's a different medium than, you know, the collector's website. So we just try to be fun and dynamic and do something different, honestly. I feel like people are kind of tired of seeing the same stuff over and over again. So it's just coming from our own need to kind of try something different. And we've been posting on Instagram constantly since 2014. So it's time to change things up a little bit. No, it's fun. I enjoy them. And also the meme as a form is like, uh, I mean, when I'm talking with especially with students who are not coming from the art field, but I also teach in the design context. So especially with design students, whenever we are discussing contemporary art or a kind of cultural product and how to decode, so to say, a cultural product, I always give the example of a meme because you need to have a sense of the code to be able to decode what you are facing. And the meme is like the perfect example for that. You need to catch some of the references to be able to process and get the joke. Highly conversations are recorded together with participants who can join in the conversation with their questions. If you'd also like to take part in these live gatherings, visit ahali.space and send us a line via email. We continue our conversation with Jessica and Abram Oralkan, founders of Collectors, with further questions from the participants. So, collectors publicly state that it's to create a new breed of collectors. Like, as you have also like, touched base, like, priorly also on this conversation, this socially conscious collector. Well, I just thought this could be interesting to, like, elaborate further on. Like, what's your take on the old modes of collecting, like, or about the old breed of the collectors? And, like, do you actually refer yourself as a new generation of collectors also in terms of the age? And do your aspirations resonate with younger generations of collectors at all? Thank you. I think that's both. I think we are also still in conversation with the older generation of collectors as well. What we're referring to is more of an approach to collecting, one that is not rooted in keeping the artworks in the collection rare, not only in quantities, but also in access. So we're kind of not uh, big on rarity, so to say. What we'd like is to start conversations through visibility, more visibility. So we're not necessarily only speaking to the younger generation, which is uh, easier, obviously, but we're also speaking to the older generation of collectors as well. And they do understand. It's not that they don't know. Many of them do understand that this is the future, but as in everything else, somebody has to start doing it first and they become comfortable. In some cases, they become the first uh, because there's encouragement from the platform. So uh, we believe that change comes through that. We are facilitating change more than anything, I think. Yeah, I think there's also several different reasons for collecting too. You have people that are collecting just for the investment value. So maybe they don't want people to know what they're collecting. Maybe they don't want the IRS to know what they're collecting. But also then there's the people who are collecting for the cultural value of art. And they understand that they are the temporary custodians of this work. And if this work is very important or significant and belongs to art history, it doesn't actually belong to them. 
the idea belongs to the general public. And it's not to say that this is a younger generation that believes that they're more okay with sharing because they grew up in the digital realm or the social age. Because you have a lot of older collectors that have the money to open these private museums and they understand the importance of showing the work. So I think it's more of a mindset than anything. But I do see that there has been a nice evolution of people now understanding the importance of sharing. At the very beginning, it was very hard for us to bring collectors on board you know, just for privacy concerns, because people are so concerned now with their data and rightfully they should be because, you know, every time you talk about something, Instagram showing you an ad and their so-called encrypted WhatsApp messenger, I'm getting ads for things that I spoke to somebody about. So people are very protective of their data. So that's why we also went about showing that we aren't in this for collecting data. We also have client-side encryption where none of the information even goes to our servers without being encrypted. So we can't even see it if we want to see it. So different things like this that we're instituting with our site to let people know that we're doing this for the cultural value of art and to spread this. Right. We're not after their data, which uh, we believe most of the platforms out there are trying to. Data mining aspect of it, because that is the uh, approach of VCs, the venture capitalists, the investors. That data, they're after the data. They're after the access to your camera. They're after the access to your location. They're after the access to your microphone. And they're after the access to your wealth in a way, right? We are not, and so we've established what just mentioned. It's, I think, very important to mention. We do have that client-side encryption on the platform, which is also uh, referred to as zero-knowledge encryption. We don't have access to our private, the private data of our members' information. So I think it's really, it speaks a lot, although we don't uh, emphasize too much in our marketing materials or so. I think it speaks a lot. Blocking our access to that type of sensitive data and using a technology that is not ever being used in the art world. It's rarely used outside of our world. I became aware of this technology while I was reading uh, Julian Assange's an older book uh, from 2010 and, you know, how he was advocating for a future. And the future is only about this type of encryption. It is only going to come about, from this perspective, extremely strong encryption. So we made sure that we uh, integrated on the platform. Yeah, I mean, that's very valid and interesting. I'm not directly related, but I had another question. And now that you mentioned the kind of responsibility towards members as well, how do you reconcile being on the one hand, this membership-based service almost, and on the other hand, a public-facing entity, institution or corporation, but with aiming for public benefit? How do you reconcile those two sides of the coin? We do have an editorial approach to things. We, we're completely independent into the approaches we take with what we do. Yeah, there is a membership uh, process in there, but you know we don't have influence from the collectors in that sense. Um, yeah, it's completely yeah. free to join right. the website. So if you're accepted and verified as a collector, you know we're not showing every collection that joins. We're vetting the community. So that's completely free to join. So anybody and everybody can apply on collectors and to show their collection voice, yeah. and share their collection. We offer paid plans solely for people who are using it more as like a real collection management solution. Maybe they need dual users. Maybe they need a collection manager to come in and manage their collection for them. So we offer different levels, but the basis is free. Anybody can join for free. You are both very inventive like on trying new things. Although, like when I looked at the way that uh, you have built the 
Kickstarter campaign. There are bonus artworks, shouts out on, on IG, ads on the magazine, lunches, and etc. So these are all very conventional fundraising methods. But like, do you imagine any out of the box strategies to finance this self-organized entity? Do you have any new perspectives to generate revenue for a corporation in the service of public? Right. So first of all, uh, I think Kickstarter is a major challenge. Begging for money in a way, uh, fundraising is very, very difficult. You know, I think Kickstarter was a trend that was wildly popular for a long time, but it is very difficult to raise funds, uh, especially on the cultural front. And we're not the only ones. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies uh, go through that. So it was a challenging time. But, you know, I think it's important to note here that we are not a nonprofit, right? We are trying to build revenue models. Otherwise, our business model would be, we were a nonprofit, would be the same as the museums that exist to literally fundraise. So we are not, we specifically did not want to be there. And our experience with uh, fundraising was such as well. We never want to find ourselves in a place where we want to raise funds through a mean like Kickstarter. So yes, we are working on many different revenue models. Blockchain is one of them uh, while creating a benefit to the originators as we discussed and benefiting ourselves as well, but you know, in small percentages. So I think there are many different models. We are also building a social economy in the platform where art advisors will be available to answer questions on a per minute base for collectors who are going to have questions and collection managers who are also going to provide services through direct access to collections. So we have finished the coding of these parts. Now we need to finish up, but yeah, we're approaching those. But, you know, we have built a platform, a community that is very, very difficult to build. It took us many years. So now we do have this community that is growing. Now it is our task to connect these dots, create more interaction, connect people to each other, allow people to help each other, create um, advisory uh, environment for collector to collector, advisor to collector, collection manager to collector, curator to collector, and provide uh, benefits for them on the digital front. I mean, curators are having a, a difficult financial time. A lot of people are. So we feel like it is our duty to do that. We also feel like galleries, especially small to medium-sized galleries, are having a major challenge when the artists that they promote the careers of jump ships to uh, blue chip galleries. They lose all that they have invested in a, a decade almost. So we do understand those and everything that we do, we will be doing in terms of revenue models are going to be engineered in a way that benefits those that are having those problems that we feel like are doing the right thing or are important for the art ecosystem and also taking a small percentage of those while we're doing good. So that is really important to us. But there is an approach with collectors and it's very, very clear. We're very strict about this. We don't find where we can make money, but rather we focus on doing the right thing. Thank you so much, Jessica, Evrim. Really great to host you. Sarp, thank you so much for your questions as well. Questions, both of you. Uh, I think it's really, uh, it's so fresh to, to hear questions with that uh, other than, you know, just the simple uh, surface questions. So it's really nice to approach things in a methodical way. So thank you so much. And, you know, John, I, I admire your practice as well. It's a very special one. So 
yeah, it was a great pleasure for us to be here as your guests. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Jessica and Evermore Alcan raised some serious questions about not only the future of collecting art, but also on the state of the art industry and its institutions as a whole. Their response, as manifested in collectors, is to propose alternatives of how artworks are kept and shown and to secure a critical role for the collector as an agent of change in the art world. You can see how they do it by visiting collectors.com or checking their sometimes hilarious Instagram account. I'll end with a reminder that the recognition of all actors involved in how art gets made, shown and maintained is imperative and I hope that extends to even more powerless agents that make cultural production possible. I want to thank you for joining Ahali. Make sure to check out our episode notes to find out more about the works we discussed in this episode. You can also visit us at ahali.space and please feel free to get in touch if you'd like to join our live gatherings and Q&A sessions with our guests. Hope to see you next time.